Welcome to Tokyo Shishi. Together, tableside with my Israeli guests, we cook together and feast on the foods of their childhoods here in my Tokyo kitchen. Cook with us as we set the table for Shabbat. This is Tokyo Shishi with Melissa. Israeli culture and history through the delicious lens of food, right here in the heart of Japan. My guests today are husband and wife duo Moshe and Karmit. They joined me in my Tokyo kitchen to prepare a special Shabbat dish called Chamin. Chamin is a thing、um, you put in the oven for 12 hours. Traditional for Shabbat. Something very warm and. The, the macaroni and chicken I make. Warm the, the, the heart. A, oh, yeah. <laughs> warm the heart and the stomach.、Yes. The macaroni and chicken I make is a traditional Jerusalem food for Shabbat.、Mm. It's Jerusalem food. Ham is a hot. <laughs> I realize that cholent or chunt is the same sort of preparatory Shabbat stew as karmits. Both designed to stay within the parameters of Shabbat, to not require electricity or fire, while later providing a hot meal on the day of Shabbat. You know Ashkenazim and Sfaradim? Yes. So Sfaradim. So Sfaradim in Jerusalem. Spardy. Used to make it for Shabbat. Pure Sephardi. Pure Sephardi. <laughs> yeah. They Pure call them themselves. In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. Growing up Jewish in South Florida, my Ashkenazi grandparents never made chamin or chulin for that matter. We lived it up at Flakowitz and other Jewish delis. <laughs> Karmit, also being Ashkenazi, meaning from the Jewish communities of Eastern Europe. Did not grow up with this Sephardi dish herself. The Fardim from the Hebrew Sephard refers to the Jewish diaspora community of or from the Iberian Peninsula, so Spain and Portugal. But more broadly, it often also refers to Jews from northern Africa and the Middle East, who were quite influenced by the Sephardic laws and customs, not to mention the delicious foods of Spain and Portugal. So, Karmit learned how to make chamin after marrying her Sephardi husband Moshe. But we'll get back to how they met a little bit later. Chamin, I learned, is a perfect symbol of family and community, everyone coming together, especially those Jewish grandmas, to make sure that all are fed and nourished during Shabbat. And you know another thing, Melissa,、um, I heard. That in Jerusalem and other places, there was a place, community place, with an oven. Oven? Yes. And people bring their pots with the food for Shabbat to this community、uh, oven. And everyone had his pot in this oven and then come. Isn't that、oven. beautiful? All right. Yes. I've, I've heard that too,、wow. but also in different countries,、yes. like in Spain or Italy. Portugal. Italy. 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 Yeah. So, like, maybe they, they go to the baker's shop, right?、Wow. In the huge oven, and everyone has their family pot. 
It's so beautiful, right? So, so beautiful. We'll need our largest pot, simple spaghetti, potatoes, onion, oil, and chicken thighs. For flavor, just salt, pepper, chicken bouillon to amp up the chicken, and the star of the show, turmeric, curcum in Hebrew. As we cook, I'm amazed at how she sets up the dish to keep heat, to keep simmering and produce delicious, intact noodles that will be ready hours later when we all sit for Shabbat. It was like this, I imagine, in Spain or Portugal for those who lived there as Jews and later fled. I learned that it was Hamin then, but actually for those who stayed through the terrible oppression in 1492, when they had to convert under great duress and then still abandon every thread of their Judaism, every visible thread, the dish actually transformed taking on a different name. Hamin became Dafina, or hidden. So their food even, in holding to dietary laws, could uncover their Judaism and thus put their lives in danger. Every Shabbat, every holiday, and maybe every day. You just sprinkle the kum kum turmeric on top and then the chicken bouillon. Yeah. So you're using weird. I remember seeing turmeric piled high in the spice markets in Jerusalem's Shuk Machne Yehudi. Turmeric is a major profile in the Moroccan spice blend, like in Ras al Hanout. And the spice, while originating maybe in India or Asia, was found deep in a merchant's tomb in Megiddo, Israel, dating back to sometime between 2600 BC and 2200 BCE showing the ancient presence in the land. It must have been so elegant and so lavish that experts say it would have been used by royalty or for elaborate weddings. And wherever Hamin went, it added to it the local spices where it lived. So here we are in Tokyo, using it on a Friday night in a silky pot of noodles and chicken. So it must be so gentle and delicate and buttery. Hope so, Melissa. Ah. And so, a little bit, a little bit more salt. And now, what's here? The rest of the pasta goes mm -hmm. on top. Smother it up. Do you think it, do you think that kibbutzim still have this kind of thing? No, I, I was born in a kibbutz. Mm -hmm. And uh, it used to have a, not everyone cooked his food, but in the kibbutzim, they used to cook for everyone in the chadar ochel, in the kitchen. It was cooking the same for everyone. Yeah. But nowadays, the kibbutzim changed a lot and everyone cooks in his home. You have your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I was a child in the kibbutz, there was no kitchen. <laughs> No private kitchen, only kitchen for everyone. Right, and big pots, <laughs> huge, <laughs> big, big, big pots. Yeah, and the 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 dinner place, the lunch place was so so big, and so many people sit together, talk, eat, go to work, come, 
rest, go to work. Uh-huh. Everyone together. And what kibbutz is that Netzer called? Sereni. Netzer Sereni. It was a kibbutz of survivors from the Holocaust. My father was from Poland and he survived from the Holocaust. Yeah, my father couldn't talk about it a lot of years. Mm-hmm. And he had nightmares and uh, screaming in the night. Everyone but Karmit's father and his two brothers were murdered in the Holocaust. And her father could not talk about what he went through for a long, long time. What is family? Mahal? It's survived only three brothers. My father and two brothers? Yes. All families. Karmit's grandmother was originally born in Poland and then lived in Berlin. After marrying, she and Karmit's father moved to Toronto, Canada. But get this. <laughs> she only told them one week before departing on a ship that would set sail for Haifa. Just when Israel became a modern state. In 1948, and she... When she came to Israel, she said, I want to go to a kibbutz with Holocaust survivor. That's how she met my father. Mm-hmm. She was so brave. And that kibbutz for Holocaust survivors was where Karmit was born and raised. It wouldn't be until her father had grandchildren, though, that he would open up about what had happened to him. She sends me the family book English chapters written by mom and Hebrew chapters by dad. When he got retired, he and before my sister went for five years to US to do her postdoctorate, so she asked him to tell us a story first time. So all of us came with grandchildren and he told us the story, but so gently and not to hurt anyone, just like in the movie, Italian movie, did you see it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Life, yes, beautiful life is beautiful, right. And then he started writing. Karmit says that one of the reasons her father decided to share his story was to introduce his children to his side of the family, as he and his brothers were the only survivors in his nuclear and extended family. He made us uh, know his parents. My aunt I didn't meet. You know, I grew up without grandma and grandpa because his was dead in the Holocaust and my mother's was in Canada. Karmit put so much love into being a Safta, a grandmother, to her sweet grandchildren. Even while it is emotional being away from her children and grandchildren, while they are bombarded with rockets and the horrors that are unfolding in the south of Israel, she and Moshe are playing games with my children and are making food for the younger, younger guests upstairs. She recounts her father's very exact documenting of the events leading up to the Holocaust and all of the cruel repercussions. And he did, he did it very detailed, like what happened. Not what he felt, yeah. but what happened. 
and he also uh, did a great job with to write it to every uh, uh, city in Poland near neighborhood where he lived yes he said what family he knows Jewish family lived where here 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 he wrote all the family's names mm. to remember I ask where the book is now do they still have it yes in Varsha there is a Jewish uh-huh. museum and he sent so them much. in English all the documents and they mm-hmm. have it there and uh, yeah. how old was he when he, he did was all this? ah in the Holocaust he was 17 but when he did it he, he was I think 60 years and old. he could recall all of that detail do you remember it his brother also went to Poland and went to the house and dig in the earth when he remember. <laughs> he left the diary and he dig and he found it. His diary. Avram. This is your uncle? Yeah. And he went back and he found it. And the place. Wow. child. He, he covered it before they go. He put it there and he remember where and dig it and found it. Okay. Yeah, we... <laughs> Spread it out. Did you salt the water or yeah. salt the chicken, both? Salt the water. Okay. Of the pasta? Of the pasta. Mm-hmm. And now. And now. It's like a magic trick. The incredible magic trick may also be the sheer will and the miracles of Carmit's husband, Moshe's parents, getting to the land of Israel. Yeah, His father yes. was in Iraq, a prison, because he was Tzioni. Zionist. So he was right. And he helped Zionist to, to take the people from take Iraq the, to Israel. The, the so border, he sat in the, the prison yes. for for six months, I think. If he hadn't gotten out, they all would have been killed. They faked passports and found a way to escape. This was in 1948. There were programs against Jews there in Iraq and every other Arab nation. Moshe's parents fled. It was the only hope for life. They were airlifted and settled in a temporary dwelling in Israel and what was available to them. They lived in Ma'abara. You know Ma'abara? So this is the word, it's kind of like a temporary tent, shelter, shelter for those who... They lived there a lot of time. Yes. First they were in an Ashkenazi kibbutz for a long time and then they were sent to the Mabra. Not just the food and spices, but the languages must have been totally different. How they could speak language, with each other. Yes. talked his language from the land he came from. Yes. And, uh, you know, Hebrew was the official, but I'm sure his parents talked Iraqi Arabic. 
Jewish Arabic, Iraqi. It's yes, have, a special uh, language, special language. like Arab. Yiddish for yes. Ashkenazi. But you know, even yes. then, yeah, even then, uh, there was Fadayun. It's Arab oh, people like. that came and wanted to kill Jewish in the Mabara. They always afraid that they come. They used to come, take children. Mm -hmm. Always was dangerous in Israel. Always is now, like today. We are still reeling from babies, children, and hostages of every age taken on October 7th. So Moshe's parents spent six or seven years in that very temporary shelter with that danger in the back of their minds. Following the many years in the Mavra, they moved to an apartment. Moshe and Karmit's parents were so involved in the building of Israel, even though they came without much of anything. Holocaust survivors sprouting with life from the shell of burnt remains and Moshe's parents leaving a dangerous Iraq for a poor, sandy dwelling. Feeling isolated yet resilient, creating a loving home for Moshe and all of his siblings who would be born in Israel. Moshe says he has fond memories of his childhood. I remember a good, uh, good, uh, good memory. Yeah, good, good. Memory in the In childhood. In childhood, Keep layering it. Oh, it's so gorgeous. Why is it so pretty? You know, everything is more amazing when someone else is cooking too, right? That's right. So if you were home right now, you would be making this for your family, wouldn't you? I told my With so much love. Making it. So she said, hey, Sofka, no one makes it like you. Oh. I said, we will come and I will make you. Yeah. Now I need, I don't know, maybe maybe two cups of water. Okay. Because of the amount. So it all has to like cook again, together now, right? Together now. I cook the pasta halfway. I realize that I'm completely nervous about ending up with mushy pasta. I must mention that fear of mush several times. Carmit assures me though. She leaves the pasta al dente when it begins the longer mission of being on the lowest fire with layers of onion, potato, and chicken. Once everything has been layered just so, we turn up the heat so the pot boils, and at that point, we move it all the way down to gently meld the ingredients into one cohesive, lovely dish with the chicken fat, bouillon, salt, pepper, starch, and that golden turmeric doing its job. Minimum, minimum fire. Okay. Minimum. Oh, I'm gonna make this all the time now. Mm. For you, in honor of you too. Mm. Like I said, Karmid is Ashkenazi like myself, so the discovery came later. She was taught how to make this chamin from Moshe's Sephardic mother. Young Karmit met handsome Moshe when she was 19 and he was 20. They were soldiers in the Yom Kippur War, or she would say she was just helping. 
but they were both in the defense force upholding life and feeling loss during the war. From the time they met there was war, and now, exactly 50 years later, Israelis are once more defending their right to live. Karmit and Moshe feel everything so deeply. We all do in these days following the attack. Whenever we see each other, we stop and hug. Even on the stairwell, so many I love yous, our eyes wet. We also smile and look forward to our next Shabbat together. Yeah, you will taste it. I hope you like it. You've got the magic touch. She's right, of course. The dish continues to cook so that the family has an amazing meal waiting for them for lunch on Saturday, or of course they can have it that night. They would just break the seal made with flour and water and all that fragrant steam would finally escape. I'm so hungry already. It smells so good coming in. And the turmeric is really special. Okay, this is ready. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. Later we sit with more than a dozen Israeli guests saying the Kiddush blessings and soon after a few songs and some more tears of fluffy challah, we uncover Karmit's chicken and macaroni. The scent means everyone is home, but also here in Japan, where it still feels too far away from war and upheaval, but also quiet and safe. Their pain is our pain, but the togetherness, like the spices, finds its way inside. We find good things at the bottom of the pot. Onions, potatoes, caramelized goodness. And how do I not think of Karmit's uncle going back to uncover the story of his family and neighbors ripped from the earth from a beautiful life. This is a dish that hides real history and also uncovers. Between the seared chicken and the rich onions and soft potatoes, all laced with chicken fat, turmeric, and salt, seconds turn into thirds and fourths. There was a place, community place, with an oven. Oven? Yes. And people bring their pots with the food for Shabbat to this community, uh, oven and everyone had his pot in this oven and then come. Isn't that beautiful? Tokyo Shishi is a Melissa Uchiyama and Kintsugi Media production in association with Kevin Zuccarello of Sudaka Sound Production. Music by the talented Yaron and Sudaka Sound Production. Kintsugi is the Japanese technique of restoring broken vessels, ceramic teacups, dishes, even glass, using gold and lacquer. John Ledoux of Kintsugi Media, my friend, a lifelong resident of Japan and lover of Israel, co-created Tokyo Shishi with me in an effort to use this podcast as a hopeful act of Kintsugi, a Japanese application of Tikkun Olam. This has been our desire, especially following the tragic events of October 7th. We're here to honor and celebrate your lives. Each of these guests is really a part of my family now. I'll be posting and sharing more of the background 
and the history behind each dish, including a recipe. So you can really join us tableside for the best Tokyo Shishi. If you make anything from this show, do tag us Tokyo Shishi. Like and follow so more of these voices are heard and these foods celebrated. Kampai and l'chaim. Thank you.